Welcome to LifeBeat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Right to Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Happy Friday, everyone, hopefully. <laughs> uh, this will be the last time, I can guarantee you, the last time I have to do this podcast alone, which is a welcome change. It's nice that the governor is finally allowing uh, people to roam free again. I wish it was under more happy and unified circumstances. But it is what it is. So we'll just jump right into it. Uh, today we're going to talk about a couple things. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to end with an issue that I think is paramount to just about everything we deal with in society, but no one mentions. So you just have to hang on with that teaser until we get there. I also want to talk about Planned Parenthood and human organ trafficking. Uh, fun subject, right? Uh, first, I want to talk about a explanation of this challenge process for our petition drive signatures. So, as many of you know, uh, we submitted a petition to ban dismemberment abortions. We submitted uh, more than 379,000 signatures, and uh, the Bureau of Elections is the board uh, that is responsible, or the Bureau rather, is the organization responsible for checking these signatures to make sure we had enough. And right now, our signatures are being challenged by Planned Parenthood. So what does all this mean? Well, to put it simply, Planned Parenthood is trying to knock off enough signatures to take us below the amount that uh, we legally need, which is 340,047. We're trying to look at these signatures and say, no, these are good. And if we can ha revive enough of those signatures, then the petition drive will be certified. The signatures will be certified by the Board of Canvassers. And then it'll finally go to the legislature where they can vote on this uh, ban on dismemberment abortions, which, of course, is the most common late-term abortion procedure and works exactly like the name says it does. They dismember the baby one limb at a time. So what happened is the Bureau of Elections finally started checking these signatures again. And, and this process is all kind of complicated. So I'm going to give you some of the inside baseball of how this all works. And actually, it's the first time that we've ever had to do it. Uh, right to Life of Michigan has been the leader of five petition drives, this being the fifth. Four times before uh, we were successful, we collected enough signatures that we didn't have to worry about it. This time we did not get our goal of 400,000 signatures. We just got under 380,000. And so uh, if you don't get enough signatures, you don't have a large enough cushion, then the sharks begin circling and see if they can invalidate enough of your signatures to take out your petition drive. And Planned Parenthood is always the shark, always looking for its next meal. So the Bureau gave uh, 10 days, I think it's uh, 10 business days, uh, they kind of took advantage of Memorial Day weekend and gave Planned Parenthood plenty of time to check this a sample of 500 signatures. So rather than check all 380 roughly thousand signatures, what they do is they take a sample out, kind of like an opinion poll, of uh, 500 to start. 
and if there is enough signatures in that 500, uh, it's outside of the margin of error, that it looks obvious that we have enough, then we're done with the checking process. If it's outside of the margin of error and it looks like we don't nearly have enough, then the petition drive, uh, they make a recommendation to the board of canvassers to reject it, boom, we're done. If it's somewhere within the margin of error, then they have to go and pull a larger sample. And that's kind of where it seemed to be headed at the moment. So of these 500 signatures, uh, Planned Parenthood had an opportunity to go in with scanners and scan every petition that we have, copy them all to check them, and obviously they get a copy of the uh, 500 sample. And they found 435 of those 500 signatures uh, they said uh, looked to be valid, which is 87%, which is not enough. Uh, in order for, technically, we need 456 of the 500 signatures for the petition drive to uh, mathematically reach that 340,047 threshold. Now, uh, if you divide 379, uh, well, if you multiply 379,419 signatures times 87%, uh, you're going to get above that number. But the problem is the Bureau knocked out uh, 6,357 of our signatures for really ticky-tack reasons. But if you actually looked at the ones that they knocked out, there was a small tear, a smear, a stain, uh, stickers on the back or front, anything that obscures any language of the legislation or whatnot, they throw out. Now, um, in most cases, from what we can see, this is standard practice. They'll do this to everybody. I think it's pretty ticky-tack. Uh, we've never had to really worry about this part of the petition drive checking, but here we are. Uh, for example, if part of a letter is illegible or a, one of the letters, in uh, the T of a the somewhere on the back, uh, of the petition, which ex which is the text of the bill, uh, is somehow obscured by anything. They threw out the whole petition, maybe eight signatures, even though no one in their right mind could possibly believe that <laughs> that, that is not a T. Really ticky-tack things. Uh, some of those we may be able to get back if needed, um, but that's uh, sort of ongoing stuff and would involve uh, legal and court challenges. Uh, or a very persuasive argument to the Board of Canvassers, because it's that Board of Canvassers, which is two Republicans and two Democrat, uh, Democrats, who really are the ones calling the shots. The Bureau of Elections is basically uh, the accountants making recommendations. So of that 373,062 that the Bureau says that they checked, we need 456 out of 500 to be technically sound. Now, as far as the margin of error, if we get 465 signatures or more of the 500 are good, then we're done, we're good, we move on. If we get 448 or fewer signatures, uh, then we're done. The petition drive is done, but not with a happy result. And so uh, Planned Parenthood says 435 of those 500 signatures are valid, meaning that we are... 14 short just of surviving on to having a bigger sample sample pulled. So uh, according to Planned Parenthood, we're in big trouble. Now, Planned Parenthood, in a press release about it, said, oh, they have so many duplicates. There are more duplicates in this petition drive than we've ever seen, which, like anything Planned Parenthood says, and as we'll discuss in the next segment, is absolute bullcrap.
just going to be honest. Everything they say is always straight up hot garbage. Uh, there was actually a petition drive five years ago where uh, 12% of the signatures in the sample were duplicates. Now that's a lot of duplicates. Planned Parenthood is alleging that we have 4%. So uh, apparently we have more duplicates than ever, even though it's a third of the amount of duplicates in a petition, a very famous petition drive having to do with prevailing wage that got wiped out because of duplicates just a few years ago. Again, <laughs> they're not, math is not their strong suit. Let's just put it that way, unless it's counting taxpayer dollars. Then they're really good at it. Well, our mission now, and we, what we've been doing in the office here the last few days, and all sorts of things, uh, field trips out to people for affidavits, calls to city and township clerks, which is incredibly difficult when half of them are closed because of the pandemic still in the lockdowns. Um, checking, I feel like the, the guy who had to check for hanging chads after the 2000 election, my eyes really hurt. Um, but really, we're, what we're trying to do is rehabilitate uh, 65 of those signatures. And so we can guarantee, I can guarantee to you that we've gotten some uh, back. I can say that uh, Planned Parenthood uh, had a couple in there that were obviously valid, that the, even the Bureau of Elections says are valid. The real problem, though, is uh, the ones that the Bureau of Election didn't check were the duplicates. Uh, they don't scan every petition and check for duplicates. You need, you need to pay for some sophisticated scanning software and whatnot to do that. Um, my parent did that, so they found 21 of the 500 are duplicates which is a challenge, but the real challenge is, is not the duplicates. It is uh, the ones that the Bureau of Election have found, and they found 33 bad signatures, and these are for uh, reasons like uh, it seems to be the, the voters not registered or there's some or sort of other problem with the signature, many of which we don't have the capability well, I should say we don't have the uh, ability to efficiently check while we're in the middle of a petition drive. Uh, it takes a long time to do um, a check for voter registration and checking 379,000 signatures, checking the voter registration is impossible uh, for the amount of time you have allotted. You only have six months to collect these signatures. So where we stand right now is... Uh, uh, you know, the duplicates are going to be, they're duplicates, so they're not duplicates. Those are pretty simple. Uh, really, the challenge is going to be with the Bureau of Elections, the mistakes that they found, uh, and, and really the, the challenge is trying to convince them that they were wrong. Uh, I guess most of the challenges that Planned Parenthood had were really worthless, except for the duplicates. Uh, but, you know, the Bureau of Elections, we've got to change their opinion about things, and so that can be very difficult, and we're working on it. So... Uh, will we get enough? We'll see. Uh, it all depends on what the Bureau of Election thinks. I know that we've already submitted some uh, challenges to signatures. Uh, if I were a betting man, and I'm not a betting man, and I swore off any predictions after the 2016 election, uh, but right now we're probably looking to be somewhere uh, between that 449 and 464 signatures that requires a larger sample which case we'll have to do all of the work that we've been busy out of our minds this week uh, doing. We're going to have to duplicate that at an even larger scale uh, in a couple of days or weeks. So we'll see.
Maybe as soon as next week, we'll have some details. Of course, as always, we'll cover it here on LifeBeat. And so stay tuned uh, if you want minute-by-minute minute updates. And let me tell you, the, new, the news about the petition drive was changing by the minute this week. Uh, always go to our website, rtl.org. Scroll down a little bit, and the latest news features, we will always keep you updated on the important things you need to know. Okay, moving on to some Planned Parenthood bullcrap. Everyone's favorite topic, right? Well, uh, just to give you some background, as I'm sure many of you uh, knew or at least heard about, in 2015, uh, David DeLayden and his colleagues at an organization uh, called the Center for Medical Progress did an undercover journalism sting of Planned Parenthood exposing their practice of selling the tissue and organs of unborn babies aborted in their facilities. Now, when this hit the news, uh, Planned Parenthood's chosen narrative was these videos were heavily edited, uh, which is not really relevant because you can see the full footage of everything that the Center for Medical Progress released. Uh, they released the full footage. I think it's still available online. I haven't checked, although I watched the full footage or uh, skimmed through most of the full footage for every single video they released. Nothing was deceptively edited at all. Uh, to serve this media narrative, Planned Parenthood uh, had a firm kind of uh, check the videos. Interestingly, this firm was implicated in the whole Trump-Russia scandal, um, <laughs> but that's a story for another time. Uh, weird people. And this firm released a report saying, oh, well, yeah, it's sort of, you know, edited and taken out of context and blah, blah, blah. But we find that the footage was not edited in any way and blah, blah, blah. So basically... The report's bottom line is, no, it wasn't really edited in any way or really deceptively edited. Um, and since we have the, the advantage of seeing the full footage, uh, there's nothing to criticize here, really. That's not how the report was spun. The report was spun saying, it's proved that they are de deceptively edited. And that's what a lot of media outlets ran with. A lot of reporters didn't really want to watch the videos themselves. And... Uh, in some cases, it's hard to blame him when in some of the videos you see the lab tech in the abortion facility literally picking through the body parts of an unborn baby. Um, you hear them joking about it, haggling over the prices for these samples. It's pretty disturbing stuff. Obviously, uh, abortion is not a pretty issue. Uh, as any of you listening to this, obviously, no, you don't need me to tell you that. Well... The litigation from these videos is still ongoing years later, uh, five years later. Uh, David DeLayden and his colleagues are still facing legal action. Uh, he sued them. There are still videos, many, many videos of undercover footage being blocked uh, by a pro-abortion judge. Uh, it's confusing, ugly mess. A confusing, ugly legal mess. And Planned Parenthood still has not been indicted uh, in any criminal cases for what is obviously criminal activity because federal law is that you can't sell body parts for financial gain, which Planned Parenthood clearly was. How do we know that they were doing that? 
besides the undercover videos? Well, uh, there was testimony under oath from Planned Parenthood as a result of all this legal action uh, back in April and March of 2019. And in these uh, legal depositions, you can see some of the recognizable characters, if you will, from those Center for Medical Progress videos. Uh, Deb Nukatola, who, if you remember, was in the first video, who was the one stabbing her salad as she talked about pulling apart an unborn child. Um, there was Mary Gatter, who is the, uh, <laughs> was the person who was caught on tape uh, kind of joking about buying a Lamborghini from the proceeds from selling these uh, organs of baby body uh, from, from aborted babies. Uh, she's in there. Uh, a couple other staff people for Planned Parenthood, uh, as well as um, you know one of the people that was purchasing these things. Um, Planned Parenthood says that after this all uh, went down, that they stopped doing it. Uh, basically, if you watch the videos under oath, and the Center for Medical Progress has posted this on their website, so you can see the sworn, unsealed sworn video testimony of these Planned Parenthood officials under oath. And basically they're saying, yes, we tried to sell baby body parts for cash to a, to a middleman, uh, in this case, uh, David Delayden posing as the uh, middleman, or there's other companies like uh, ABR, Advanced uh, Bioscience Resources, uh, there was another company whose name escapes me at the top of my head that got in real trouble for it, was implicated in some of the videos. Bottom line, it's absolutely all true. Planned Parenthood bought, excuse me, Planned Parenthood sold human body parts taken from babies aborted in their facilities. They killed human beings, sold them off for cash for profit. They didn't it was not merely reimbursements for the cost. Planned Parenthood didn't do jack doodly. They aborted the baby, they let the third party come into their facilities, pick through the body parts, take what they wanted, and paid Planned Parenthood for this privileged access. Illegal. But Planned Parenthood always gets away with it and they always get away with a media narrative that isn't factually true. Uh just a little aside as an example of that today, scanning through the news, I found an editorial from the leader of Planned Parenthood in Michigan, Lori uh, Carpentier, or Carpentier, however you pronounce it, um, basically criticizing pro-life people for not caring enough about the pandemic, uh, kind of along the lines of the you're killing grandma, though she didn't use those words, um, conspicuously absent from her editorial was asking why Governor Whitmer decided to put people who had the virus into nursing homes so that other people in the nursing homes would get the coronavirus and die. No criticism of, of our pro-abortion governor. Why? Because she's playing for Planned Parenthood's team. She's on the team. And they're not going to criticize each other publicly, usually. All right. Enough talking about Planned Parenthood? I think so. Okay, let's move on to uh, another happy story. 
Uh, new numbers from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention uh, talking about uh, birth rates in the U.S. And uh, why do I talk about this? Because I believe that this is an issue that is so important that, that everyone completely misses. And this in, implicates economics, our political system, our basic societal relations between each other. Um, I think this is the biggest issue of the 21st century, and it's the one that gets the least amount of attention. And, and why does low birth rates and uh, a demographic winter, as, as, as it's been called, or underpopulation, uh, so missed? Well, for whatever reason, at the end of the 20th century, people became, and this wasn't <laughs> a function of just the late 20th century, this was true in the early 20th century, going all the way back to Thomas Malthus, um, who worried about uh, the population's ability to outstrip our ability to feed them, which obviously didn't come true because, uh, I don't know, but looking around here in America today, we have more food than we can possibly eat, even in the midst of a global pandemic that's disrupting supply chains. Um, people became enamored with this idea of overpopulation. Uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, it started with basic concerns about uh, with economics. Can we feed all these people? It turns out, yes, we can. Then it sort of became a uh, social and political issue. Uh, and this is where Margaret Sanger comes in, uh, who, well, founded Planned Parenthood. I guess we're never done talking about Planned Parenthood when you're working in the pro-life movement. Um, Margaret Sanger came in and thought that all these all these poor people are reproducing too much and the rich people aren't producing enough and the rich people are obviously genetically superior in Margaret Sanger's mind because everything is genetic and, and nothing is, has to do with choice or culture. Um, so she thought we got to limit the population. We got we to start really limiting the population. And uh, this that sort of thing has gone on all the way up into today, uh, China became enamored with these ideas. Um, generally, your communist countries became very enamored of it, anything with a really planned economy, uh, because they fail to see a human being as an engine of prosperity, uh, or even as a human being. Uh, they see a human being as a cog in the machinery of the state, and uh, the more cogs you have to worry about, the more oil you need, the more you need to fix it. Why can't we just do without so many cogs? And so uh, China enacted their one-child policy purposefully to get rid of as many babies and young people as possible to try to lower the population because they thought their population uh, and their economy was going to blow up because too many people. Uh, later on, this became sort of environmental concern uh, with pollution or natural resources or, we, or, or destruction of habitat, um, you know, which has some merit. Obviously, if the entire city, entire world became one giant city, it, wouldn't, it would cease to function. Uh, but uh, these concerns, again, are generally overblown. Um, I heard a very interesting story once that if you, you put gave everyone a one-acre uh, house um, that you could fit them all in the state of Texas or something. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but people don't really 
There are not as many people as you might think. Uh, six, seven billion sounds like a big number, uh, but it's not quite as much as you might think. So because we've been so enamored with uh, overpopulation, we stopped having babies. And we started enacting policies that made it harder to have babies or discouraged us having babies. And people have begun to believe that they don't need to have as many babies because uh, that's only when you live in these poor, uh, technologically backwatered economies do you need children to work the farms and to keep things going. Well, it turns out society still kind of works, you know, that you actually need children to keep society going because if you don't have children, society stops. I mean, pretty simple. Now, obviously, we're not talking about uh, zero people or humanity going extinct. But uh, the real key is a number that is the total fertility rate, which is how many children does the average woman have. So in order for population to stay stable, you need that to be uh, about 2.1 children. So two children for two parents, uh, plus you know some people don't have children or uh, get sick or die in accidents or whatnot. So 2.1 children per woman is enough to keep society level so that the population over time, if everyone had 2.1 children, would stay the exact same. Today in America, in 2019, our total fertility rate was uh, 1.7. And so uh, we're missing 0.4 children. Uh, part of that is abortion, obviously. A big part of that's abortion. Uh, but a lot of that is other reasons, which abortion really feeds into. The idea that children are not a good in themselves, are not an engine of prosperity, should not be treated as human beings. They're just means to our end. Generally, that ends happiness. Well, that's just not the case. Then why is that? Um, how does this affect everyone? Well, just think about the economy. You know, People complain all the time about the high cost of health insurance, and there's plenty of things that go into that. But a huge driver of that is... And the same reason that Medicare and Medicaid are in trouble, uh, especially Medicare, is old people need medical care more than young people. Old people get sicker. They need more medical care. Who's paying into insurance? Everyone pays into insurance, generally the same. Uh, but the, the youth, the young people, are paying more into the insurance than they're taking out. Now, when they get older, they're going to take it out and actuarially... Uh, it, it should balance out over the course of your life, but it's a basic fact that uh, if you have a bunch of young people and a few old people, insurance isn't going to cost that much because the amount of people needing uh, payouts is going to be small and the amount of people paying in is going to be large. If you have a few young people and a ton of old people, uh, insurance is going to be really expensive because everyone is taking out and very few are putting money in. It's basic, basic stuff. And that's a huge driver of it. A lot of people don't think about And that's true for Social Security. Uh, Social Security goes to old people. We need young people to pay for it. If we don't have enough young people, then whatever young people we do have, we're going to have to pay more individually to make up for what's been promised to the old. It has to affect many other things. You think about uh, everyone loves technological growth and new gadgets and new discoveries. Uh, even though you know generally you hit your mental peak a little bit later in life, uh, you still need youth and vitality as a sort of uh, engine of ingenuity and entrepreneurialism. 
uh, you need at least some youthfulness to make that happen. Uh, when you have fewer youth and you have more old people, society in general is, tend is going to be more conservative from that particular standpoint. Um, you think about relations, you know, uh, and, and the, economy, the economics of this feeds into it. Uh, what are the young people going to think when they're getting loaded with more uh, health insurance premium costs and more entitlements and more taxes to pay for old people? Are, you know, we already almost have intergenerational warfare. Uh, you know, how many times do you see people making fun of millennials or saying, okay, boomer? Uh, that's not good. We shouldn't have giant generational divides in a society. That is really unhealthy. And we're going to ask a lot of these uh, younger folks in the next few years. And it affects economic growth as well. You know, we had a huge economic explosion in the 20th century. A lot of that's because we had a huge population explosion. Uh, people just stopped dying like flies. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so uh, w when you add up all these things, it's not a good thing that the U.S. birth rate hits a new low, an all-time low. Unfortunately, a lot of people believe it's so because they've been told that, but it's just not true. And I think when you think about it for a few minutes and dig into it, you'd agree with me, hopefully. All right, that's all the time we have for this not-so-encouraging episode of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Enjoy our beautiful weather. 